little uh, frosty coupon from Wendy's. It's a pretty good one, huh? I was gonna. I was ready to ask you for a credit card this morning, or whatever it was that you had borrowed me to use the last time. Um, if you find a guitar pick on the floor, just return it right up there if you would. Uh, hopefully, you've been seeing a little bit of a theme that's going on this morning. Um, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, we we talked about the fact that that you and I each have a story. And it's something, it's something that God has done in you, and it gives you this remarkable tale to, to be able to tell to a world that wants to hear that. And that when people hear our story, or when you tell the story, your story, it often, oftentimes will open up some doors to, uh, into the lives of people because they, they begin to connect. They begin to, to connect with your story. They, they resonate with you. But... I think the real question happens or the real question comes in trying to figure out what you say once that door is open. What is the message that we would give to a world that needs to hear something that might bring transformation and in uh, uh, life and, and meaning into the world that, that they live in, that, that brings transformation in, into their own personal existence? Um, and I, I, I simply this morning... Um, I, I really want to just share, I, I just want to really bring things down, simplify everything, because I, I, I have something this morning I think that is really, really simple, something that you're, I, I, I caution you, I, I encourage you not to just kind of go, oh, that verse, because this is so, so familiar, John three sixteen. we all know what that says, right? And so it would be so easy for us to go, oh, that, and then kind of um, go to sleep and... Um, you know, that's kind of would be the, the, you know, I can sleep through this one. Um, we have been, let me just kind of go back a little bit. We have spent several months, I mean, you realize that. This really is, I kind of put it as part of this series, but it's kind of kind of the end, end of that and kind of moving on a little bit into some other things, looking at the effects of that story. But we've spent several months talking about God's story, and we've, we, if you remember, we started out in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, back in February, talking about, I, I think that the, 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 the title of that sermon was something like, and, and God saw that it was good, or it was all good. It's all, you know, it's all good. And, and you know, the last part of that series is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all good again. And we see that. But it's back in February we did that. we just simply been walking through it, talking about the story. And, and today we really come to that verse. I, again, it's just one of the most famous verses I think in all of Scripture, John three sixteen, and I'm guessing that if, if any of you know if you, anyone who's ever been around the church for any length of time, they have heard this verse. In fact, I, I think that even if you haven't been in the church, you've heard this verse. Um, um, in fact, probably most of you have memorized it. John three sixteen. It's it's the story. It really is. Uh, so so what's the message that we give you and I? We give to people who hear this particular story that we've been looking at. If you want to look at that, I invite you to look at John 3.16 this morning, just so you'll have it in front of you and you can open your Bible. Uh, if not, you can maybe comb your memory and, and uh, you can probably be able to comb that up. And actually, let me just ask you to do this. Let's, let's share that together. Should we do that? Um, you probably don't even have to look at your Bible, right? Oh, oh turn it off the screen. Turn it off the screen. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Ready? For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Everlasting, eternal, shall not, his only begotten or his one and only. Some of us maybe learned that from the King James. Some of us learned it from the Revised Standard. Maybe you learned it from the NIV. Maybe you got a new, you got an open Bible, I think. Isn't that right, Richard? Yeah, yeah it probably has a little bit, but it's all the same, isn't it? It's all pretty much the same. A couple of things that mean the same. It's pretty clear passage. It's, it's, now, um, you can put the rest of that up there. Thank you for pulling that off. But that's not the end of that particular paragraph, by the way. We all know that, right? The next few verses are also a part of what he has to say, and I want to look at that. He says in verse 17, this is the follow-up to that, and here's what he says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in, does not believe, stands condemned already because he has not believed in, God's, in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Here's our message, I think. I, I think it's just a simple, simple thing. For God so loved the world. The, the scope of that message, I think, is that is that his love includes, it includes us. It, it's, it, now, now that, that really shouldn't be any news to any of us. I know we, we know that. And, and yet I, I've really become increasingly convinced that there are people who are not sure that they fall under that particular message that the love of God is actually for them. There, there's people living all around us that, that fully, don't fully understand that message is for you and me and for all of the world. But somehow something that they have done in their life, something that done, has been done to them or some injustice in the world or something around them convinces them that the love of God must be limited to only a few. And certainly the attitude of some Christian people, unfortunately, has, to be, has been to communicate that the love of God is only for those who are like us. I want to read for you just a brief quotation. Uh, uh, one commentator on, on John 3.16 says this. He says, It was the world that God so loved. It was not a nation. It was not the good people. It was not only the, the people who loved him. It was the world. The unlovable and the unlovely. The lonely who have no one else to love them. The man who loves God and the man who never thinks of him. The man who rests in the love of God and the man who spurns it. All are included in the vast, inclusive love of God. As Augustine had it, God's love, or God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us to love. Somehow in the heart of hearts that exist within each of us, we, we need to come to grips with the fact that that is the nature 
of God. His nature is that of love. It's impossible for him not to love, and, and absolutely nothing that you have done or that I have done or, or, or ever could can, can keep him from loving you and me or anyone. Nothing that has ever been done to you in, in any way is, is in any way evidence that he has stopped loving you. I, I think one of the greatest theological statements in all of Scripture occurs at the very end of the book of Jonah. That little four-chapter prophet book that most of us have heard about ever since we were little children, whether you were in the church or not, I don't know. But, but, but we all have heard the story about that giant fish swallowing this prophet. And there in Jonah's book, as Jonah is trying, to, trying to, to, to wrestle with why God has not struck down Nineveh. I mean, you know the story, right? I mean, here's the Assyrians that are ready to attack. They've already taken, they've, they've already just have, have, have they're, they're standing on the thresholds of, 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 uh, of, of taking over the nation of Israel, that northern part or that northern kingdom, the divided part of Israel. They've, they've, they've taunted and they've, they've, they've mistreated and they've, they've done some things. And, and, and here's Jonah's like, man, I mean, why, God? Have, why haven't you struck down this nation, this place, Nineveh? And he comes, Jonah does, and he's sitting on a mountainside and he's overlooking this great city and he's pouting. And in this conversation with God, he has this profound statement, in my opinion, uh, of, it's of deep theology. Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 starts. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Remember, God said, go to Nineveh, and he's a prophet, he's a preacher. He says, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to go there. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You hear that? Jonah understood something about the heart of God that all of us, I think, need to come to grips with, that God abounds in love. It's in his nature, love is, to love even the rebellion of his own children. Can't stop him from loving them. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is the 11th chapter of Hosea where we hear this description of God's love for people, that, that, that He is the one who literally took them by the hands and taught them to walk. How many of you remember doing that with your children? Yeah? Took them by... It's, it's, it's that image, right, of the, the father and the mother and... And, and, you know, they're over their children. They're holding their fingers or however they're doing. They're walking them. Um, I remember when our kids were young, you know, even they would, they would, they, they were able to walk uh, even sometimes. But you'd, you'd have them step on your toes and you'd kind of just walk them a little bit like that. It was just kind of fun to, to get them because they were still trying to get those, those long dangly things to, to, to work, you know. Um, 
But, but they're teaching, it's that image though of teaching your child how to walk and there's this sense of this deep compassion, there's a sense of this, this deep love for your child. And, and the text goes on to say, that Hosea text goes on to say that Israel has rebelled against God and, and against the very na- God who taught them to walk. And, and, and he says, I've had it. I've had it right up to there with these people, right? Uh, and, and it's almost as if... Uh, it's almost as if there's a blank spot in the page. It's almost as if there's a pause for you to stop and to think about the very fact that God could ultimately run out of patience. And then he says this. It's just a great part of the text. How can I give up on you? How, how, I am not a man. I am, I am God, and so I will not give up on you, Israel. That, that's really the message, really, that, that God cares so much about you and me that there is not one single thing that you could ever do to stop him from pursuing you. The scope of his love includes you, uh, whoever you are, whatever your circumstances, whatever you have done and, uh, or whatever has been done to you, whatever you're thinking today about your relationship with him, whether you've, you've ever had one with him, the one thing that stands out, the one thing that stands as absolutely certain is that God loves you. That is our, our message. Our world needs to hear that. What's our message? What is it that our message involves when the door opens and God gives us an opportunity to speak to somebody? What is it that we say to him, to them? Well, among other things, we say this, the depth of his love is so demanding that it requires the gift of his own son. Uh, first of all, it, 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 it's all for you, but also that the depths of his love is so demanding that it requires the gift of his own son the sacrifice of his son. God so loved the world that he gave. There's a really cool sermon that was preached uh, by a fellow, actually the librarian at Lincoln Christian College and Seminary. I went to school there back in, it was a while ago. Um, Don't remember quite the dates, I guess. Graduated in 99, I think. So... um, and they had this, this thing, uh, they had these tapes and things, and we were encouraged a lot of times to listen to different things. I don't remember how I heard this. This fellow by the name of Enos Dowling, in fact, the, the library, he was the librarian at Lincoln Christian College and Seminary, and he, he, uh, he, uh, he, was, um, he died actually, um, I'm trying to think, shortly after we, we got there, probably a couple years after. But they had these t- this tape system you could... You could listen to and read sermons, and we were encouraged to do that in homiletics, just to kind of hear some of the, some of the, some great sermons. We had them in chapel and stuff too. But um, anyway, this this older fellow that just was an incredible guy. He he had, in fact, he's this this has come out as a book. If you look at some of that, and he this sermon has has been brought out as a book, and uh, the sermon was titled "Love Is Like That." Love is like that. And uh, I probably could have got a hold of uh, Lincoln Christian College and got that tape and just played it for you and just sat down and let you listen to that and I, we wouldn't have had to write. Um, but it's really, it's really a cool sermon. It's, it's, it's simply a you know, story after story after story of people 
who demonstrated or, or, or animals who demonstrated uh, or God who demonstrated that love is like this. He, he, he has painted a picture of what it is like for people to demonstrate the love of God to other people and then for God to demonstrate His love for us. And, and every time he came to the end of the story, Mr. Dowling would simply say, love is like that. This story is, is told as true. It, it, in, in my mind, it, it is so absurdly, absurdly uh, unbelievable that I have really trouble believing that it's true. And, and yet every time I look for the story, it's always told as a true story. And most likely most of you have already heard the story, and yet I'm going to tell it to you again. It takes place during the Depression. Uh, the actual event occurred in 1937 at a bridge over the Mississippi River. The man's name was John Griffith, and he was an uh, unemployed Oklahoma transplant. And the duck the moment of the things and all of a sudden the Memphis Express whistle went off, a 400 passenger train. He told his son to stay where he was and he, he ran back up to his post. And he did what he always did, he looked up the river, he looked down the river, he looked under the bridge to make sure that there was no boat in the way. He, pressed, he prepared to push the lever when all of a sudden he looked down and he realized that his eight-year-old son had fallen and was down in the gearbox. As any parent would do, he raced through all the options. He raced through all of the scenarios. Could he get his son, could he get him uh, out of the gearbox, get back to his post and push the lever in time? The answer was no. And so he buried his head and he pushed the lever and 400 people went by safely, totally oblivious to the death of his eight-year-old son. True story or not, love is like that. Even when you were oblivious to the fact that God was pursuing you, even when you could have cared less that God that, that there was a God in the universe, this, this God chose to love you so much that he sent his son to a horrid death for you. If you never acknowledge that, he will still send his son for you. That's a message that is worth telling. That is the depth, I think, of this text. The story that we tell is, is, is a God of the universe who loves us so incredibly that he will give up his own son. And, and frankly, I just can't imagine it. I really can't. I mean, no offense to anyone here, no offense to anyone at all, but I, I, I don't know that I could do that. To sacrifice one of my sons for anyone here, for anyone at all? 
I, I just don't even know if I have that in me. I, I, I just don't. I can't imagine that, that choice. I'm not sure that if I would have been John Griffith, if I would have pushed the lever. But I can tell you this, if I had been on that train, I would have been wanting that man to do what he did. So what's the message? What is it that we tell people? I think it's not just that the love of God includes them. It's not just that the love of God is so incredibly demanding that it required the sacrifice of his own son and that he gave it willingly. So what do we tell them? I think that we tell them that the only legitimate response to the love of God is for you to believe in his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him. It, it's just a profound issue. I, I don't know if we pay much attention to it because most of us who sit in this room Sunday after Sunday, we've already made that decision. We've chosen to believe in Jesus. We've given our, our, ourselves to him in some way. A, at some level, we've responded to him because we're here. We're, we're not somewhere else. We're right here. But but if you think about it, this is, is a profound issue because it assumes that you, oh, this is incredible. It assumes that you can choose to believe in Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm utterly, utterly fascinated by that word, and it's used in the gospel, as it's used in the Gospel of John alone, much less the rest of the New Testament. But it, it, it is John's express purpose, according to John chapter 20, he, he, he wrote these things in order that you, you know, that those who read this story here, who heard about Jesus, would believe, and that by believing, you have, would have what? Life in His Son. That was the whole point of telling every story. In fact, this word occurs dozens of times in the book of John. The, the, the issue is, is, is believe, and, and it's belief, and, and over and over and over and over again, he says, he put his belief in his son. They put their belief in the son. They put their belief, and do you hear that, how that works? They put their belief in the son. They made a choice to believe in Jesus. And that doesn't happen by osmosis. It, it will not occur just because you sit around and listen to somebody preach long enough. It only happens ultimately, ultimately when you choose to believe that Jesus is who He says He is and that His offer is real. It's a choice. In fact, if you go back to the text, look at verse number 18. Listen to the language of choice here. Whoever believes in, uh, 18, verse 18, whoever believes is, is not condemned. Whoever, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God, uh, God's one and only Son. But look at 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Do you, do you hear the choices being made right here? God sends his son. He, he comes as this light into the world. The world refuses to accept that light, to believe that light, because they know that if they step into that light, It'll show exactly what they're like way down deep inside here in the crevices of their heart. And it's so much easier. It's so much easier to keep that hidden. 
The story is told of an Arab chieftain who found a spy in his country and he was going to be executing him. He took him out into the courtyard where, he, where there was a firing squad. There was also a large door. Um, and the chieftain said that you have a choice. You can face the firing squad or you can go through that door. After a long hesitation, the man said, I'll take the firing squad. <laughs> and so they shot him. The reporter that day asked the, this Arab chieftain, he says, what's behind the door? And the man said, freedom. But nobody ever chooses it. People choose that which they know rather than the unknown because the unknown is so frightening. Some people listen to the story of Jesus. They've heard it again. They've heard it again and again and again. And, and yet there's just enough about what's on the other side of that choice that is unknown to them, what God is going to do in their life, which, that, what may change in their heart, what kinds of things they may, that may go on within their soul, that they choose to stay on this side of that choice because at least on this side of that choice they know what to expect next. But the only way that you will ever experience freedom is to choose the door called faith, to believe in Jesus, to trust Him with your heart and your life, and to give yourself to Him. So what is the message? What is the message we have? What is this story? Well, the story is, is God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, the consequence of your choice, of my choice, the consequence of His love, the whole desired goal of what God is trying to do for us in this world is to give us eternal life. Now, now we're not talking about more of the same, right? We all understand that, right? We talk about eternal life, spending eternity in heaven with God, you know, that, that hope that is all. If all God is offering me is more of the same of what I'm experiencing today, I'm just telling you right now, I mean, I choose not to take it. Thank you, right? I'd just as soon have it over and be done with. But that is the challenge, I think, of us trying to understand eternal life in Scripture. It's the, fan well, the fancy theological term for it is called realized eschatology. It's, it's, it's the, 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 the now and not yet kind of thing. It's, uh, uh, well, it, it's some... In, in some rather obscure way, it, it's talking about we live in two worlds, right? We live in this world that is physically limited, but we also live in a spiritual world. And, and on this earth, we still hurt. We still have pain, and, 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 and we still suffer, and ultimately we still die. But because we have responded to Jesus, the life that we live in this here and now begins to make more sense. The things that happen to us, they take on different meanings. The ability to handle what happens comes to our life because of the presence of God and our confidence, our complete confidence that He knows what He's doing. And while all that is happening down here, we have become eternal creatures who are destined to live with God forever in spite of what happens down here, a life in His presence, a life that Scripture doesn't even know how to describe as we talked about a couple weeks ago. It just simply says for me to live 
is Christ and to die is gain. It, it simply says that when, when we leave this place, we go to another that is, is better, whatever that happens to be, and it, it all comes back to this fundamental story that God is interested in transforming our lives in this world and preparing us for the next. There, there's two statements. See, I'm out of time. There's two statements that I want to read that I think the, are, are really a good summary statements of what I have been trying to tell you this morning. And, 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 and then I just want to simply have us sing together a song of celebration, celebrating our future, celebrating our hope in Jesus Christ. And that's how we want to end today. Before I tell you these stories, let me remind you, because I, I just want us to end with that thought. I want us to get up and that's what we go out. As we go to fellowship with one another, that's what we do. We go out thinking that thought. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the announcements right now. How about that? Check in your bulletin. There's a lot of them, right? Today we've got a Creamery Creek service. What else have we got to tell them, right? Did I miss some? Yes, that's what I forgot. Close your ears, Pauline. So if you want to help out by helping with some meals for Pauline and Kevin, just let who know? Let, let Pauline know what day you're coming. Let, let her know which day you're, day you're coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, awesome. And I've got So I want to I let you know those announcements. Uh, check out your bulletin for other things uh, that, that may, uh, Bible studies are coming up. Uh, ladies, if you, if you missed us last week, um, Susan says it's not too late. Never too late. They'd love to have you. Invite somebody else to go to that. Um, exercise has started up. Uh, men's breakfast has started up yesterday. If you missed it, oof, we had a lot of more food. I, I got to eat some of that this morning even. So um, those are some of the announcements. Am I missing anything? Okay, here we go. Two statements. Two statements that, summary statements of what I've been trying to tell you this morning. I want to, I want to share that. Then we're going to stand up. We're, our focus when we leave, we're done with the service. We want to focus on these, these things. Um, the first is Corey Temboom. We all know who she was uh, from The Hiding Place. Uh, she wrote the book Hiding Place, but she makes this comment. The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. The reward of faith is that you have, shall have everlasting life. I think that's a pretty good summary of John 3.16. I want to give you another one. And this one's from the Apostle Paul, from his letter to Timothy. He says, for there is one God one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Now that statement that you see right there, you can keep that up, 
that statement about his gift of being, uh, his gift of a ransom comes on the heels of this comment of Paul, just a couple of verses before that. He says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants nothing more and nothing less than for you and for me to believe in his son, to trust in him, to, to let him come into your life, to let him transform your life and transform you into the person that God is desiring you to become and to give you the, a hope that is there forever. It is just such a simple verse and it's really a simple message. So let's share it all together, can we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ and what Christ has accomplished in you, you have the opportunity to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and the life that God wants to give you. That is our message. And so we're going to sing. We're going to sing and we're going to celebrate. We're going to voice that before God the Father. We're just going to let him know how much we appreciate that resurrected life. So I want to ask us just to stand together and to celebrate what Jesus has done. Thank